0: Hi, I'm Meredith. I'm Kristen. We'd like to welcome you to The Writer's Story. We're in the thick of July, and I have just learned from Meredith of um, some of the escapades of her, her recent vacation, and it was not all um, as we had hoped it might be.
1: Can yes. you so, our
0: listeners in? Well, the
1: good news is we managed to avoid the heat wave and the fires. The bad news was about a weekend, I broke my arm. Ugh. So that was not happy, but um, we we still, you know, proceeded with our vacation. <laughs> um, and, 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 like and, so and we even and, did some hiking.
0: Yeah, we even did hiking,
1: oh, um, that yeah. sort of thing. But, you know, um, the biggest problem for me is it's my right arm, and I am right-handed. So... Um, I am learning how to do things with my left hand. Hopefully this is some kind of creativity exercise that will just, you know. <laughs> That's the spirit. That will bring oh everything together for me and after this is all over. But um yeah, so that has been a challenge for everything, you know, from buttoning to trying to tie, do a ponytail. <laughs> to <laughs> yes,
0: Much less writing. Less, so less writing, You said you were exactly. doing a little bit longhand with your left hand, which I just, if I, oh, there'd be no legibility in my. In
1: <laughs> I my would say language. it's pretty not legible. But that has meant that I've had to, I really have stopped bullet journaling, which was one of the things that I was keeping track of lots of things. Um, And I have returned to journaling, not every day, but to write little bits and see if my handwriting is improving at all, which I would say not really. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and it's
0: such a bummer. It's broken in a way that you can't um, angle your hand to type even.
1: We'll see. I might eventually be able to, um, mm. but I can, I can type with my left hand. And I have been experimenting with voice-to-text, which I have to say, for the most part, is pretty awful. Um, but <clears throat> I've found that if I do Google um a Google Doc. I can if you if I, if I speak like this, the van was in oh. the park period. Oh that's painful. <laughs> and then I wait and then it says, you know, then it says something ridiculous in the middle and you have to go back and <laughs> the
0: van was with the spork. Yeah, and you're like, the spork.
1: <laughs> whoever even writes exactly oh, <laughs> so man. Uh, then um then i've also tried just typing and and so i'd say my word count has gone down tremendously but i um you know i'm just trying to make some progress and you have a word count so you said you have been doing some writing despite all of this. about 500 words if i can no, That's great. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, um, a day. but you know it depends on the day. And, and also I find it very hard to write when it's this hot.
0: It has been very hot and very dry. The grass is a bit crunchy underfoot. so I've been spending a lot of time dragging the hose around, trying to resuscitate trees from the bringing them back from the brink of death. Um, you planted a bunch of new trees.
1: Pardon me? Did you plant a bunch of new trees?
0: I did um, within the last couple of years, and some of them are fruit trees, and they just take a few years to really dig their roots down low. Other trees, I'm thrilled, have made it through the drought without any real pampering. Older, um, so some that I planted between 8 and 10 years ago have hung on all right without my having to my doing any irrigating which is astonishing to me but
1: I have um really not I really don't water very much Peter will water the um the vegetables yeah <clears throat> but if my flowers it's... get dry and crispy I'm like it's sort of like that's survival of the fittest here Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. It's pretty rough
0: around here. But they're hanging in. Um, And yeah, it does cut into the writing time. I find myself just going out, honestly, and watching the birds and the bees and the butterflies come to the flowers. It's so entertaining. Um, But I'd like to think that somehow in my lizard brain, it's contributing to creativity. (laughs) So, um, the the writing that you're doing, can you tell a little more about that, the 500 words to what are those going?
1: Um, Well, I did have a little bit of a breakthrough. Um, So, I'm I'm revising my bank robbery book again, and I've created some new characters, and I had more of an epiphany of what the ending would be with the new characters, Um, and so that's... So that's sort of a, I'm sort of filling that in. So I have been working on sort of just edging towards what those scenes need to be. But I feel like um, they're pretty basic at this point. So I'm gonna have to do a lot of, a lot more work on them. It's more sort of what needs to happen here and trying to think about it. So that's what I'm working on. And you've been very busy.
0: Well, I have and have not. Um, I don't have the, well, I have, I have full use of both of my <laughs> arms and hands. and So I'm ashamed to say I haven't done quite as much composition, but um, I did finish drafts of the nonfiction proposal, which was good um, for thinking through that book a little bit more as well. And sent that to my agent, who responded that she received it and will look it over and let me know what she thinks, which is nice. Um, but I, so I haven't heard back from her yet, and that is fine. And also um, finished a draft of the novel that I've been, I've been pecking away at for a bit. So this is one I'd already drafted. This is probably the third general draft and I know it still needs another read through another work through Um, it's interesting it's gotten more and more kind of sober the story as I've gone along it started as a lark with lots of kind of what I thought was kind of a fun tone and kind of some comedic elements that that on subsequent drafts have felt superficial and trite so it's really interesting how it evolves. Um, I hope again that it's improving and depth and um, yeah. But I yeah. Anyway, it's it's getting tighter. Um, I don't write perfect sentences and paragraphs all the way along. But we've talked about this before. I think you and I share this in just trying to kind of get to the get to an end carrying on um with changes in mind that we might not have had in place at the very beginning in order really to get uh another another draft that then can be uh uh, refined (laughs) yeah and a thing from which I can uh work further so I feel like I'm I'm there pretty well I also though in the last couple of weeks, I've just been gobbling up reading. I've been reading like crazy, all novels. And um, it's really felt like it's filling something in me that needed needed some attention. I don't know. I hope that it will uh, contribute again to enriching my own writing. But it certainly has been a great, um, I don't know, escape. And yeah yeah three novels a couple of them uh having to do with some kind of climate environmental stuff um new ones one called migrations by charlotte mcconaughey which was just really gripping beautifully written and sort of wrecked me in its sensibilities and um a children's bible by lydia is it millet m-i-l-l-e-t is her last name she's Uh, written a number of other novels. This is the first of hers that I read and it's gotten really great reviews and wow, that was really good as well. Um, Very different from each other. And yet both of those really sort of broke the, in my thinking, sort of broke the mold of a a kind of three-part structure with um, a linear kind of narrative but played around with structure and also with um, sensibility. Lydia Millet is there's a lot of I think kind of tongue in cheek that also packs a punch. I really enjoyed that, and I also read Kristen Hannah's um, The Four Winds, her most recent I think it is historical fiction. Oh yeah, have you read that or
1: know about no, it? No, I've read other <clears throat> books by her.
0: It, yeah, it's. It's really good, set in the de- the period of the Depression and the Dust Bowl. Um, anyway, so so well, I, I feel read. Um, about
1: reading. Yeah, I read a really interesting memoir on our trip, um, "Nowhere Girl," a memoir of a fugitive childhood by Cheryl Diamond. Ooh. and that was really fascinating. <clears throat> it's about a a kid who's born into a family that. Um, The father is convinced that they're being chased and so they keep pulling up stakes and then they have to change their names and they change their religions and they're taught to do, they're homeschooled and they're taught to steal and lie and, you know, do these cons and everything. Yeah, it was really, it was, it was really interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you said it's a memoir, so it's not fiction. Yeah. Do you think some of what you were reading in there could inform some of your bank robbery story?
1: You know, I think I was thinking a little bit about sort of what what sort of could drive you, you know, to crime. You know, and what could what what could make you do something that would be illegal like that?
0: Yeah, and maybe for good reasons or
1: right it could be a good reason or it just could be that your family is telling you you have to or something so yeah 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 so hmm. uh, it, was, it was anyway that I thought that was I thought it was really interesting and yeah it starts when she's like four <laughs> wow so yeah yeah but um yeah, I've been reading a lot too. I think something about summer just makes you feel like it's good to, it's good to kick back with a book on a hot yeah. hot afternoon. When exactly. When yeah, you, you, about you really don't want to cook or. <laughs> no. Oh goodness. No. Exercise or anything like that. So. Yeah. Makes,
0: yeah. Yeah. Makes you talked sense. about like not wanting to write maybe so much when it gets so hot and I I do get that yeah and the days are really long is another thing so it's like I don't know that light is still good and high and so I'll sit out on the on the patio with a book yeah um, that then I get engrossed by and the next day comes and I think well I'm just gonna sit here for a little while and start this book And and on it goes yeah
1: yeah well, I also yeah. think, I mean, my, my whole theory of revising is that when you finish a draft, it's good to give a, take a break from the draft. Yeah. yeah. Whether you're going to be the one giving feedback or if someone else is going to give you feedback, but you have a break. And then when you come back to it, you'll be able to see, I think, a lot of the issues. And they may not be the issues that you thought when you put it down.
0: Yeah. Are going to be the
1: problem, so.
0: Well, I hope that'll be true with... With this novel, that I can um, t- feel good about taking a break. Uh, we also went, Craig and I, to um, one of our favorite music festivals this last weekend. And that was really inspiring to me because uh, most of the musicians playing played their own music, the songs that they had written. And it Gets me excited about that kind of creativity and that kind of writing. So yesterday, I did start um, just dabbling with a couple of different songs. You know, while I'm there. The music festival, things occur to me that I think could be kind of cool songs. And in the moment, I feel like, oh yeah, I'll just totally put this together. I'll whip this thing to whip this thing out in no time. And then I get home, and I'm like, what was I thinking? And how would this melody go? But um, but I do love being immersed in the creativity of others as well. And July seems like a good time to do that. From, yeah reading to going to the art museum i went to the fine arts museum in richmond when i was visiting the last time a couple weeks ago and that was really inspiring too um and then yeah the music as well so we're in a good place for lots of good inspiration
1: definitely definitely
0: well speaking of
1: inspiration (laughs)
0: yes let's talk about our guest Yeah, so Earl Swift is a a public scholar par excellence. He is one of these few people who, um, driven by curiosity and great intellect, can put together um, a research project and spin that into a story that is widely appealing. A couple books that come to mind is um, his Chesapeake Requiem. I'm eager to hear about the subtitle of that is A Year with the Watermen of Vanishing Tangier Island, which is sort of in our neighborhood. That is, it's um, the Chesapeake Bay off the um, mainland of Virginia where we live. So it's not so far away and it really makes me want to go and see that part of the world before honestly it's underwater which is some of what he's chronicling in that um and but he's most recently as in just a week or so ago published a new book about the lunar landing and um the rover in particular, called Across the Airless Wilds, the Lunar Rover, and the Triumph of the Final Moon Landings. So that'll be, I'm just really excited to visit with him in person. Well, Earl, it's so great to have you. Thanks for coming on The Writer's Story. Kristen,
2: thank you so much for
0: having me. I think we met at the Virginia... Humanities, then Virginia Foundation for the Humanities, right? Some, gosh, over 10 years ago, maybe. No, no. It was a while. I know it's the time. I've been here
2: for 10 years. I think I met you at a reunion. Oh, yes, yes. Foundation reunions, because I got here in 2012. Oh,
0: my goodness. Well, then, yeah, I was actually there in 2010, 11 so just barely before you but yeah yeah and meredith has um worked with the virginia humanities on the um book festival end of things for many many years which is really cool
1: on the other end i um i work on crime wave yeah because most of my books are mysteries so it's always a lot of fun
2: at the festival so
1: Yes, it is very well attended, and we often get some really great writers in town, which is always lots of fun, but there's great writers for every category. I've, I'm always really sad, though, because I rarely get to other events, because just going to your one, just staying in your lane is exhausting enough. I, I never can believe that Jane and everyone could do all the stuff that they do at the end of the weekend. <laughs> it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: was really incredible. well, Earl, we um, want to congratulate you on the release of Across the Airless Wilds. We got a chance to introduce our listeners to you just before you came on. And um, so with a little bit of back, a little bit of background, but we're so thrilled that you will share with us a little bit more of your writing journey and process and those kinds of things. So. One yeah. of the things we like to ask is how you came to writing in the first place. How did you become a writer?
2: Um, well, I guess like an awful lot of us, I, was, I got feedback from my teachers you know, in grade school and junior high at the time, middle school now, uh, and then in high school, and uh, you know, that becomes kind of self-reinforcing, and I uh, worked for my college newspaper that led me to get a job as a copy boy at the St. Louis Globe Democrat, the late, great St. Louis Globe Democrat. Uh, it was morning paper. And uh, the moment I walked into the city room at the Globe, uh, I knew I was where I belonged. I mean, it, was, uh, it, was the, it was filled with uh, army surplus furniture, old you know, olive green desks, people were smoking and putting their cigarettes out on the floor. It was a stratum of smoke that hung just below the badly stained acoustical tile ceiling. Oh! each other back and forth, there was paper fly, it was just exciting as hell. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And, um, you know, the idea that, that you got to spend your work days in, in an environment of, of nervous creative energy, uh, filled, you know, in a room filled with book smart misfits, who, uh, who, you know, were probably incapable of having any other job, uh, but were very good at this one. Uh, It was just electrifying. uh, I worked at the Globe all through college. I was a seven-year undergraduate because I worked, worked my way through it, and uh, edited the school paper, got into student politics. Anyway, it took a while to get out, and I was six months into a, a job as a reporter at the club. They gave me a, a reporting job as soon as I graduated. When the paper announced it was changing hands, it looked like it was going to fold, so I started looking for work and I found a job in Anchorage, Alaska. Went there uh, for three years and worked for the Anchorage Times. Really learned how to be a reporter there. Learned how to, to chase information, how to get information, where to work for it. and. Uh, after three winters in Alaska, wanted to live on a beach, pretty desperate <laughs> I had a map of the United States, and the one part of the country I hadn't lived in was the southeast. And I didn't want to live in Florida, so that narrowed down the search to a beach town with a good newspaper that wasn't in Florida. And yeah, I, I was lucky enough to get hired by the best one, which was the Beecham Pilot Market. I spent 22 years there, and, uh, and that's where I learned to write. for the first time when I got to the pilot I had editors who stressed how I told the story uh, as much as what I said in the story the the style was as important as the meat and uh, and, uh, I owe any uh, talent such as it is that uh, that I have to uh, this long line of great teachers beginning in high school and then continuing through you know, the newspapers I've worked for, but especially at the I great great evidence at the
0: time. That's great. Anyway. Well uh-huh. you clearly had facility young as the encouragement of your teachers, I'm glad, um, attests. But uh, then these as you describe the effect of these teachers, your writing, you could if you wrote like I don't know, a little bit of narrative to a phone book, I would find myself paging, page turning that thing (laughs) into like next Tuesday to finish it because you're writing, beautiful and immediately gripping and gosh, you're right there. It's really, you make it thrilling. Um, So wow, kudos to you. I,
1: yeah. So Earl, what was the transition like? Did while you were working as a journalist, did you start writing books, or did you wait until you were done?
2: Well, you know, I had both the uh, good fortune and the curse to come into newspapering at the zenith of American print journalism, and to stay long enough to see it start to nose over and begin its it's rapid decline. And um, I think that everybody recognized, at least people, you know. Of my age group coming into the business in the '80s, recognized that we'd be lucky to, to retire in the business. It, you know, uh, at the time, everyone saw the great threat to be declining readership, uh, which, as it turned out, wasn't what. But it it's staggered newspaper and the way it's been it's been uh, crippled in the last few years. Uh, so in the late 80s early 90s i started doing magazine stories on the side and uh, just to kind of build a a little cushion a little transition into into my future Uh, and then in uh, 1998 the paper sent me down the james river in a canoe for three weeks to write a live series which newspapers don't do anymore but it's a series that appears in print as you're actually doing it it's kind of a dangerous enterprise. For, for <laughs> Were any, you any rowing
1: place. and typing?
2: Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I we'd for twenty-five to thirty miles a day, and then we, the photographer Ian Martin and I would find a campsite that had, no or we'd find a fast food joint that had an electrical outlet we could use, so that I could get my Tandy One Hundred laptop. <laughs> with, with one line of type as you type, you could just see the you know the last few words
1: here.
2: Right. I'd file my stories and he'd file his, his photos. He he was using a first generation uh, Nikon digital camera that was the, size, <laughs> the thing was the size of a suitcase. And um, but anyway we, we did it for twenty two days and it had to be twenty two days long because it had to begin and end on a Sunday. So that dictated how far I had to had to paddle every day. And uh, it was it was exhausting, but the series became a huge hit with readers and uh, because it was kind of an attainable adventure you know, we weren't going to Papua New Guinea, we were going right. on James River, you know which, which anyone could do if they had the time and inclination and yeah it kind of captured the public imagination and uh, a few weeks after the trip I got a call from Boyd Center who was an acquisitions editor at the University of Virginia Press and, and she became my first editor. I wrote my first book over the course of the next 14 and a half months. Uh, I was a single dad, so I'd uh, put my daughter to bed at 8.30, and then from 8.30 to 11, I'd, I'd work on a book. And, uh, I no social life at all for 14 and a half months, but <laughs> by the end, of it, I, I had a book. And, uh, so that came out in 2001.
1: Well, I hope you um, stopped in my hometown. i Scottsville, Virginia.
2: Of course, I write, I write very fondly about
1: Scottsville. <laughs> well, it's very different back then. It's very well, different.
2: You know, the, the pig and steak was still open. That's they, true. They enough to go to Scottsville right there, as far as I'm concerned. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> Yes, and the dew drop and other other things. Well, I think when I was in college, um, Scottsville, they they extended the line and it doubled in size from 250 to 500. (laughs) And I would meet people in college. I would... Smith up in Massachusetts they would say oh I'm from a small town and I'd say oh how small and they would say 10,000 I would say ha ha, ha, ha. And, I, and I said it was so small and I'm not even from the town I'm from Fluvanna outside I'm five miles out of town.
0: <laughs> so Earl how did you file those stories because this is the early days of like internet and even now some of those places how did you get them to the publisher?
2: with acoustic couplers in some cases but usually we could find a clean phone line and just plug you know plug the, the computer directly into into the wow. phone. and uh,
1: well i it believe was, it
2: was old story
1: yeah old I, cell I, phones, you
2: know, last, I think it was probably 1998 probably the last point you could have an adventure like that that wasn't cell phone dependent
1: right i think well my grandfather was a newspaper man and i think you called and you dictated
2: he well, used um, to be.
1: I mean, he, 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 died in a, yeah. he died in the late 60s.
2: Yeah, a the, well, the, the few years before, and what actually was kind of a shakedown for the James River trip, uh, paper bought me a sea kayak. And they sent me around the Chesapeake Bay for six weeks. I logged about 600 miles in this, you know, making this huge uh, circle starting in Norfolk, going up the western side of the eastern shore, crossing over at Baltimore and coming down the other side. And, uh, I had to dictate all my stories in that trip. But that's hard to do. There
0: were no it's plugs. So I bet <laughs> time-consuming. And and do you dictate also like punctuation? Because sometimes you know you right. want your punctuation to be a particular way. It communicates as well. Do you it's, do it's that? Like
2: when you use a voice command in sending a text, you have to. Yeah, you have to.
0: Yeah. Wow. So you have the
2: punctuation as well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And was that, um, so the sea kayaking that you did in that area, was that how you came to, um, become curious about and then write Chesapeake Requiem about Tangier Island?
2: Well, uh, the first time I ever laid eyes on Tangier Island was on that trip. Uh, I didn't get to Tangier. I got as far as Watts Island, which was halfway between the Eastern Shore and Tanger. So I was about, uh, six miles out and, uh the weather was pretty stormy and I mulled trying to make a dash across Tangier Sound so Tangier was right there I could see it so clearly and I could see you know workboats uh, working the shallows off the island and,
1: and the water
2: tower looming and it just looked so inviting but uh, with the weather being as iffy as it was I figured I better get back to the mainland while I could yeah so, so walk during a circuit around Watts and getting chewed up by by uh, deer flies I, uh, furiously back to <laughs> back to the, uh, the vicinity of Saxis. So.
1: Wow!
0: And that book, the Chesapeake Requiem book, is um, I mean, wow! What a what a masterful chronicling of a changing place. You um, have gone back and. Observed, witnessed some of the changes since its publication.
2: Oh yeah, I've been back a few several times. Uh,
0: yeah, I've got, you know, I've got friends though
1: Yeah.
2: You know, when you live in a place like that for a while, you know everybody. <laughs> you
0: and you play. made them famous
2: as well. Well, they, they were already pretty famous or infamous, you know, before I. <laughs> like, but nobody had, uh, you know, moved the board to tell that story. And, uh, I, I, the same photographer who made the James River trip with me, Ian Martin, he and I spent six weeks on and off on the island in the spring of 2000, uh, and put together a package that I thought at the time was pretty definitive, you know, this is a tangent story, you know, uh, it's been done, But uh, over the years that followed, uh, although I planned to go back to change two other assignments in and I never never got back there. And, and in the meantime, uh, I lived in the water in Norfolk. And with each storm that came along, with each astronomical high tide, the water crept higher and higher up my yard, flooded my basement worse you know, to to a greater extent each time. And I got to thinking, you know, something's something's going on here. This is progressing. It's getting worse. And, if it's this bad on the mainland, it's got to be getting pretty dire out under the came up here. So eventually, in, uh, in the late fall of 2015, uh, I resolved to go back and, and actually went, stepped back on shore for the first time in, on Christmas Eve of that year and was just
0: stunned.
2: Oh. It was a completely different island from the way it had been just 15 years before. And that was yeah, it was a shocker. And at that point, I realized, okay, I'm going to write a book about this place. It's going to have to sooner rather than later.
0: And you wrote it within while well, you had been accustomed to working on deadline, but you wrote it within a pretty short period of time for a research, composition, editing, and all. Right? How and long did I, it take?
2: I moved. Onto the island on May 18th, 2016. I had to turn in uh, the introduction of first chapter uh, by New Year's Day. So I started, I guess I, I started writing in December. So I had, you know, I had a, a solid six to seven months of just reporting before I started to write. And, and you know, of course, when you're reporting, you're thinking, Thinking about the story the whole time, and, and the shape it might take, and so I was spending, uh, spending a lot, giving a lot of thought to who among these 460 people I was going to pick to be my half dozen or so main characters, uh, and uh, you know how I would, how I would kind of uh, lay out the chronology and mix it with the, the history of the island so I, I had some thinking already in place when i sat down to write it my deadline was let me think about this my deadline was october with memory so so i wrote it in ten months um nine months and uh, which i don't this is fast but not, not all that fast <laughs> <laughs> um, it was 110 words 111 something like that and uh so I took it back after that deadline, took it back through several drafts. Uh, yeah. I had a couple of good friends who read behind me and offered suggestions, and both of them have, have done the same on two other books, and, uh, and they're really good writers themselves, so that's been valuable. Uh, uh, so by the time it got to the editor, it was in pretty, pretty solid shape.
1: I, I've rarely met a journalist who says they suffer from writer's block. I don't know. I'm just yeah. always impressed.
2: I, well, I, you know, I, I enjoy eating. <laughs> uh, you know, I continuously move forward. Now, I mean, uh, there's, there's very little time to, uh, yeah, to suffer. You know, the absence of a muse or anything like that. I mean, I would, so yeah, you know, if you're if you're if you're making a, if you're trying to make a living at it, you you have to write. Uh,
1: right. I, I think i sort of compartmentalize since i do write fiction but i used to work in television and i made ads for shows and it really would be you'd be given something and you have a deadline and you just have to get it and like you, it, it did not matter it could be the worst movie in the world you know you didn't you didn't didn't matter you just had to sell it you know you had to write something and uh it's it's good it's good habits it does make you sit down and just start well,
2: trying a mus- things. A muscle memory to it, I think. You know, and and uh, the more you write, the easier it is too, right? yeah. uh, to write. Yeah, bad. I'm a creature of, of routine. I mean, um, uh, but that's not to say that I, I need everything just so. You know, I have run into a lot of people who say, "Well, once I finish my office, I'm going to sit down and write the Great American Novel." I feel like saying, well, your office doesn't have jack to do with it. You you ought to start now.
1: Well, then you have a lot of people who are like, it has to be a yellow legal pad, and it has to be this kind of pen. Well, I
2: I do have works like that. Uh, You know, like, you know, the pen. uh, I have one particular pen that I like, and I always buy it in great quantity, and you know, I have one one steno pad that I like. Uh, uh, And do
0: you do a lot longhand like that?
2: When I'm recording, sure. Yeah. I'm not recording. From. So I wind up Our, with like, 30 of these.
1: Right. right, right. But if I, if you were uh, suddenly in an interview with someone and you're, you had no steno pad and all you had was a napkin, I'm sure you could make it work. <laughs> yeah. to There's all the
0: skin the on your inner arm, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. Your
2: tattoo. <laughs> sure. I've got a lot of... Yeah, a lot of <laughs> space. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how, what is your routine? You said you've got a pretty clear one. Oh,
2: um, I, uh, I try to hike on the, on the Appalachian Trail every day. That's why I live in Ashton. And, uh, nice. I, uh, so I do that in the morning or the, you know, I'm done by the early afternoon and, and uh, generally bright from about 2 to 11 with a break for dinner. And, uh, the, uh. So, you know, I'm putting in uh, eight, nine hours a day, usually. And, uh,
0: did, did you say you write until 11 p.m. starting at 2? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You just slid that one by. I'm like, oh, my gosh. After the sun goes down, I'm useless as far as writing goes. But i to use those before I've had lunch.
2: <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I have got yeah. all the chores and all the crap out of the way. Yeah. And I can't sit down to write with all that hanging. You know, yeah. I'd just I'd just rather get it all done in the morning, get my hike done, and then then I can just I have the luxury of just sitting back and phones yeah. and just, you know, checking out for away. Wow. So,
0: so. It's a good discipline. It, and, a-
2: yeah, the, the quota is uh basically. And my quota has fallen over the years. I used to aim for 2,000 words a day. That's unattainable sure. now. But 1,200 words a day is what I aim for. Uh, they're not always. I, I try to make them as perfect as I can. I don't throw out a just you know, gush out a bunch of words and have those count as the 1,200. They've got to be pretty, pretty finished. And then the next, I'll begin the workday by going through what I worked on before. Uh, I usually ten pieces and put right them together. So that. First hour, hour and a half is is rework before. Yeah.
0: I and how do you schedule in, or how do you work in the interviews? I mean, you you've had these projects that you take on require travel and a lot of coordinating with the subjects that you're exploring. How do you yeah. how do you manage that and write? Um,
2: you know, it's. It's a pretty unromantic process.
0: (laughs) Back to the steno pad.
2: It's left brain engineering as much as it's any artsy sort of thing. You know, I mean, it's. uh, Because I found that a lot of this is 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 architecture. It's it's building uh, building stuff more than it is um, conjuring. You know, I mean, basically, by the time I've done with my reporting, I've got most but not all of the documentation that i'm going to be using to tell the story i've got most but not all of the interviews done that i'll need to tell the story and as I, I as i start telling the story what i'm missing will become obvious yeah you know, and then i'll know okay i gotta go back and do that and i'll i'll spend half day just showing like them that hole. i do it as those holes you know present themselves i'll go ahead and tackle them uh, and uh but the you know, reporting generally isn't done until like the day before I turned in the manuscript and sometimes it's not done then I mean I've, uh, on, on the Press fearless Wilds I turned in my first draft on June 1st of last year and uh, did the second and third drafts in pretty quick, quick order I had those done within two months but then spent the rest of the fall doing drafts uh, four through six and, and the story changed considerably during those drafts. So I found uh, kind of a lot of new information that I was able to, to work into the story. I uh, was able to get interviews that I had not been able to get up until that point. I discovered that people who were alive who I didn't know were. I didn't know to get all of that. Uh, it's a story that's 50 years old. So, you know, I, I, I really, uh, it, it's, I've been incredibly lucky. That most of the principals in the story are still alive and kicking and, and sharp, you know, mentally and eager to talk to me, and, and, uh, which I have no right to expect going into it.
0: Oh, that's and, great. I bet they're thrilled to get the story out. Um, I, how I, did you I, come to minute, it? Yeah. You know, Sorry? It waited a
2: long time, so I, I hope I've done it justice. Like, that's my only worry is that you know, it has been a while. Uh, and, oddly, no American book had ever been done about uh, the last three, Apollo uh, missions specifically, and the transformative piece of gear, you know, the winter world that made them. Uh, before,
1: was, uh, was it challenging to get a publisher to be interested in you writing this book? I mean, it sort of was, it seems a little different than the other books you were writing. I mean, it's an adventure story, but...
2: Well, it, but it's you're right. It's it's also a story about engineers and engineering. And, uh, he, uh, this is that odd book uh, that my editor pitched to me. So, and you know, it, a guy named Peter Hubbard. He, he works for uh, Harper Collins. He's, he's done three books with me now, and we're about to embark on another one. And it's uh, he's. Every bit as much a geek as I am, and we're uh, wired similarly, I think, and in, in what interests us. And he, he approached me with this story. So, that, I mean, that, in one way, that's the best of all possible worlds for a nonfiction writer to have your editor pitch you because that saves you the heinous business of writing a proposal and having <laughs> to do a lot of work on spec with no, no guarantee that it's going to you know, add up to anything. Um, but it's also, it makes things so much tougher because the Process of writing that proposal really crystallizes your thinking as to what the story is, and without that, you're beginning at you know square one. You have no idea really what the story is at all, and um, so it was uh, it was a pretty steep learning curve at the beginning to figure out exactly uh, what what story was uh, you know, what and I you
1: And you couldn't go to the to- and you couldn't go to the moon with your kayak. <laughs> Sadly, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're talking with could,
2: Elon, yes, Elon Musk. <laughs> Alabama the next best thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's where I started talking to the, the principles in the story. A lot of them are kind of concentrated there. So I was able to get a lot of the the initial guidance on how this story might work from from talking with them. And, um, and then once I talked to them for a while and I had the outlines of what the story might be, then I was going to put it in the archives and know what to look for.
0: I love your description of going to Alabama and and seeing this rover and how modest and the, the ways that you describe sort of the failings of it visually to those of us but who are, are lay people who don't not know. It's not a lot of it, not not a lot a, of it there. Yeah. <laughs> By design, by very careful design, you explain. Otherwise, you know, I'd think, oh my gosh, what were they thinking? And they entrusted their lives to this thing out <laughs> in outer space. Weight seven pounds yeah. from the moon, you know.
2: Weight wait about the same as an astronaut in a spacesuit. It's and, incredible. And it is. And it had and, that one horsepower of power, you know. Uh, you can buy you know, a weed whacker. That's <laughs> more <laughs> <laughs> brawn than the world did, But it, was incredibly capable for this gossamer of like, yeah.
0: yeah, so audacious. Um, and the a lot of the principles, like you said, are in their like 80s, right?
2: 90s, uh, most pardon me, there are a couple in their 80s, but the bulk of them were in their 90s. Yeah.
0: Wow, yeah.
2: And Maria was 87 when I talked to him, Charlie Duke is 85. He's the youngest of think, of All the people I've talked to, the astronaut children, wow. and uh, everybody else is in the nineties.
0: Wow, wow, um, but, and super sharp. You said you were able to have some really these substantive. Were, these were, these, were, these guys were near geniuses to begin with. Yeah. If they weren't outright geniuses, and uh,
2: so you know they could experience a pretty severe cognitive slide and still be uh, really. <laughs> You know, very sharp <laughs> but I, I detected no such slight they, they were all fantastic and, and
0: really generous with me. that's great I thought it was thrilling for them so you're, how, how did the organization of the book take shape was it clear to you at the outset or fairly early in or did you tweak that as you went along
2: it, it, always YouTube. you tweak it. You have a basic framework that you, you follow, uh, but, but always you're moving stuff around. And and one of the things that changed uh, was that, you know, I, I uh, emphasized the moon missions themselves to a greater degree the farther into it I, I got. Uh, you know, uh, very late in the process moved a chunk of Apollo 15's mission to the very front of the book and compared it to Apollo 14 just to get some moon in there, you know, early on. Um, otherwise, you know, it's, it's a pretty straight chronology. It goes off on some thematic side trips, but, but it always comes back to the, you know, this, this chronological spine that that runs through the, the whole story. And, uh, you know, it, uh, that makes it, that makes it pretty easy to, to, to tell. I mean, you know, you're a fool to, to discard chronology if it presents itself, you know, it says, Hey, I'm you know, important. Um, so it was not the kind of story you'd want to play games with. with the chronology. Uh, you know, the technical subject is you're dealing with space hardware and scientists and, and engineers and, um, and trying to explain the complicated and simple ways. And so uh, it seemed to me best to, to keep the unrolling of the, of the narrative straightforward as I, as I could, much more so than on a lot of my books. Uh,
0: yeah. Hmm. And you note early on that one of the things about this subject is that um, decades have passed since Americans were really familiar with it in the first place, so you have to really um, get the get the dramatic line in there to bring us along. And you well, I
2: mean, most most readers won't have been alive when this was happening, you know, assuming the typical Americans who's this book person was born after the events that the book describes, so you have to kind of educate that person with the basics. And, uh, you know, uh, Apollo 15 landed on the moon on my 13th birthday. So, uh, so it, you know, I don't really remember 11 and 12 and 14. I really remember remember 13. But uh, 15 is the first one I have a recollection of, and the reason I remember it is because those guys had a car up on the moon they were driving it around <laughs> it was just crazy cool and uh, but the uh, you know I, I figured that I'm probably uh, not the typical reader in the sense that uh, that recollection gave me a little grounding in the subject fuzzy though it was you know um, and uh but, you know, that said, uh, if you had asked me before I started this project who any of the astronauts who walked on the moon were after Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, I would have been hard-pressed
1: to come up with answers.
2: Is that a trivial pursuit been...
1: question? <laughs> is that a trivial pursuit question? <laughs> it's
2: a tough one for, for, I think, most people draw a complete blank, which is you too bad. believe it. Yeah. Good stuff happened at the end. We just and overshadowed by what happened at the beginning yeah.
1: yeah 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 well thank you so much um i look forward to reading this i haven't i haven't had a chance to read it yet and um i was really um thrilled to see that seville gave you such a big spread
0: yeah that was that was nice yeah yeah, the it, local it, publication, it, it, to it, listeners out there, yep, this is our local weekly, and um, yeah, they feature Earl and the new book.
2: Picture of the moon on the cover with the rover sitting, lonely looking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know more, read the book. <laughs> That's what it says. So Earl, you mentioned that um, you and, is it Peter Hubbard, the editor at Harper? collins um have been chatting up another project can you tell us can you give us a little preview of what that might be or not yet
2: uh you know i don't want to i don't want to talk too much about it yet but it, it put it this way it's as different from the rover book as the rover book is from chesapeake requiem
0: all right because well that is quite different then <laughs> that's yeah. awesome
2: as chesapeake requiem was from the book that came before you know, yeah which or very little resemblance to either of them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you are a man of wide-ranging curiosity, which I love. I mean, that really, your books are saturated with an authentic interest in your subject, and that's very infectious. So thank you for sharing that with us, and thanks for spending some time talking with Meredith and me. We really appreciate you taking the time.
2: Well, guys, thank you so much for having us. Always, always fun to talk shop.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it is isn't it
2: yeah it is it's, uh, I think not every writer's party I've ever been to that's all we do we sit around and- <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's the best
2: it's never old <laughs> well I mean who else are you going to talk about it with I mean it's it's a shared torment you know? much anything. yep
1: yep yep, yep. <laughs> well it was lovely meeting you
2: thank well, you so here,
1: much thank you guys thanks Earl Well, it was really um, delightful to talk to Earl and um, hear about all his fabulous projects. I know, and the adventures. He Uh, goes on these amazing adventures as well. Um, Yeah, the, the description, I mean, try imagining that you are not only spending your day doing stuff like, you know, rowing, you know, kayaking, but that you then have to then compose a story about it and then... And then publish it, basically. I know. Yeah. Yeah, the the series, the serial that he
0: did. Yeah. 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 I know, I know. And I I so admire, and it's true of all these journalists who, you know, spend a lot of time um, on the beat, if you will. You know, interviewing people, going to see things for themselves, exploring, learning, researching, and then to write in a way that is highly crafted Um, it's not just uh, tossing words down that somehow strung together describe whatever it is that you've seen or learned but instead to make this really compelling narrative he's a beautiful beautiful writer so if listeners haven't read any of earl swift's um, writing you're in for a treat
1: that's awesome that's awesome yeah so
0: I'm so happy that he took some time especially with this brand new book out I'm sure he's got loads of um, loads of events lined up we didn't talk about that much but I'm, I'm guessing that
1: he's yeah. got a lot more. yeah yeah it's a big publisher too but yeah it's um and it's so interesting to hear about someone who writes you know at the end of the day
0: I know yeah and maybe yeah, that's... I have a friend who only writes, like, at night, and she'll write, like, through the night, and I just, boy, that's so foreign to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I imagine some of it is born out of necessity, you know, you're everyone's sleeping, and that's when you have quiet or something, but um, I'm imagining that his you know, it could be that he's just sort of starts waking up by the afternoon in a different way than we are. But that also, that's how it, that's how his schedule was for journalism, that you spend the morning gathering and the afternoon writing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it just, I think, reminds us again how different each person's um, writing life may be. But just learning what works for you or simply creating the discipline and making making that work for you like you said with journalists maybe you know they kind of had to work this way yeah or a parent you know with you know what that's like to raise a little one and so having the discipline to work out of the world that you have to inhabit (laughs) yeah it's a good quality yep yep
1: get it done get it done. Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of, you are doing that despite your um, handicap. I'm sorry about your arm, but gosh, I hope it heals quickly and you can get back to typing writing. two-handed <laughs> typing for crying. out loud
1: I, I just hope that I really appreciate it when I'm back to it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> there is that, Suddenly yeah. so productive that I'm oh, just, you know, yeah, blown but... away, blown away. But I I am perfectly
0: capable with both my hands and arms, and I'm reading a lot. (laughs) That says.
1: I I can also hold a book with one hand, so that's no, that's a relief.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, it's always great to visit with you, Meredith, and always love talking craft. Like Earl said, it's just so much fun to talk about writing with you.
1: Always to check in, and so hopefully we'll chat again next month and have a guest. TBD?
0: <laughs> yes, indeed.
1: Awesome. I look
0: forward to it. Thanks. Suspense is killing me. <laughs> we'll
1: see you next time.
0: All right. Bye.